16 Quit school and took what work that we could find Just got tired of working hard Wanted to change the scene So we packed our clothes and left it all behind Hello out there in Anthology Podcast land. Welcome back to the final episode of this season of the VMP Anthology Podcast. Uh, this one, of course, is devoted to Waylon Jennings. You've been listening to the first two episodes, the third episode of this season. Still about Waylon Jennings. Uh, we hope that the box is in your house now and you're listening to it, or at the very least, the U.S. Postal Service is very close to bringing it to you or whatever international mail carrier of choice has it in their truck on their way to you. Uh, really looking forward to hearing what everybody thinks about this box. You know, like I have said a million times already, these are passion projects for us to take a lot of work. We're really proud at how this one turned out. We're excited to hear the reactions to this one. Hope they're as good as the reactions to our Miles Davis box. For this episode, we're going to get into the production of this one, uh, all of the things that went into making this box. As you know by now, um, I wrote the liner notes for this box. I started my career in music as a music journalist and writer, and it's awfully hard sometimes for me to then turn around and assign these projects to someone else. But with this one, it just felt like I have such a vision for what the story is here. And I, I just didn't want to hand over to somebody else being that in my head, I knew exactly the beats of this booklet and everything that should get covered and why each album was picked. So that's why I wrote these ones. So I hope that you enjoy those. And then, you know, other things that are in your box. It, it took somebody to design this thing, and it took somebody to listen to all the test pressings and make sure that everything was up to Vinyl Me Please's standards. So this episode, we'll be talking to those two people. And if you've listened to the Miles Davis season, you know those two people as Clay Condor and Steven Anderson. Uh, up first here, we have a brief interview with Clay talking about how the design of this box came together. So we'll go to me and Clay. Please turn out the lights. Those lights are the reason why she ain't here tonight. So, Clay, you know, you're VMP's anthology designer at this point. You're our in-house guy. So, you know, I come to you with the Waylon Jennings anthology and I say, all right, man, we got this Waylon Jennings box. What do you think and where does your mind go for doing the design for this one? So first, my mind goes to Discogs immediately <laughs> to do a deep dive on like late 60s, early 70s, even into the 80s country and outlaw country specifically. Covers, posters, inserts all that fun stuff and really just kind of diving into that world visually and trying to identify, you know, like common threads between type choices, image treatments, etc. And then, so after that, then, you know, how do we end up with the, the box, the way it looks, how many versions of this do you, do you remember even how many you made and like, you know, talk me through how the box design ends up happening. 
Yeah, so honestly, there weren't that many iterations of this one. It, it's pretty straightforward, but essentially my goal was to create like a more contemporary interpretation of what I was finding in my Discogs deep dive. Um, something that, you know, wouldn't look out of place on a shelf in 1974, but also something that looks really clean and and more modern today. So yeah, there there were only a couple iterations made. And if you look, especially at like the late 60s, early 70s Wayland covers, there seems to be this recurring like brown and orange motif. Like sure. I, yeah. I could be totally wrong, but I think that was his favorite color combo back in the day. Uh -huh. and, or at least the designer he was hiring at that right, point, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, so I applied that to our box um, and it worked really well. Luckily, we were supplied with like really amazing photos to use. Um, that cover photo looks like he's having a great time. He's got like the embossed Wayland guitar strap that he's holding. Um, and then he's kind of looking directly at the title. So that worked out really nicely. But yeah, just creating a modern interpretation of, you know, classic covers. For sure. Yeah, and the back of this is the one, it has all of the album covers too, right? Like, So it doesn't have any album covers on the back, but it has, it's like the first anthology we've done with track lists for everything. Oh, so that's kind of, what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like a breakdown of everything that's in the box, which we typically don't do. Right. It's either an image or, you know, just album titles. Yeah. But another recurring thing I noticed was listing song titles on the front cover mm -hmm. for like seventies country albums. That was a big thing. So we did that on our cover. So it felt weird to just kind of repeat that on the back. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, we got a little bit more in depth on what's in the box back there. For sure. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me about the design on this one. Yeah, man. Of course. My pleasure. Do you want to talk about this box with other folks who are obsessed with Waylon and with vinyl just like you? Do you want somewhere to debate which album should have been in this box? Well, do we have the place for you? It's the VMP Discord, which is open to vinyl lovers of all types. Head on over and look for the channel dedicated to this Waylon anthology. Then, stick around to debate sandwich toppings. Join by going to discord.gg slash please. Now, back to the show. And for our next segment here on this final episode of the season, you'll hear me talking with Steven Anderson, who we call internally Eagle Eyes. Uh, he has been VMP's production fine tooth comb, I think is not offensive to call him. He's the guy that we send test pressings to. He does proofing. He's the guy that makes sure that these records look and sound as good as humanly possible. We do not do these projects unless we think we can accomplish that. And Steven is largely the reason why these things turn out as good as they do. So in this next segment, you'll hear me talk with Steven about the process of buying reference copies, uh, what it was like to, you know, really step up the vinyl quality about getting the album art ready for these. Uh, just, you know, everything that went into delivering this Whalen Jennings box. So without further ado, here's me and Steven. Steven. You know, you're becoming old hat on these podcasts now, but we're here to talk to you about what went into making the Whalen Jennings box happen. So I guess let's start with, I come to you and I say, Steven, we're doing Whalen Jennings anthology. 
What is your first step at that point? I immediately open Discogs and buy the nicest looking copies of every single album that I can. <laughs> yeah. And on this one, that's maybe harder than it seems to find like VMP quality reference copies, right? It was a little bit trickier than most. You know, some of the titles were pretty easy, easier to pick up in good condition. Some were surprisingly expensive, surprisingly hard to find like a real minty copy of these. Um, like folks that bought Whalen records in the early to mid seventies wore the hell out of their Whalen Jennings records from the early to mid seventies. Uh, so yeah, like sorting through a lot of like VG pluses with ring wear and like that have clearly been loved to find, I think I found maybe half of them were like unsealed still, like still an original shrink. And I was like, all right, I'm going to pay the exorbitant price and these will be like these will be the the next generation of of Waylon Jennings records, like right. they'll, they'll give themselves over to be made anew. <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> they're the raw material to make something new. I think that's like a thing that uh, you know is always sort of frustrating for probably everybody who works on vinyl reissues. But it's like especially for us on this one because the first comment for a lot of people is like, "Well, I can find." I can find these in my local record store. And it's like, yeah, you probably can, but like that copy is beat to shit because like, like you said, these records got played. These were not, uh, you know, the reference copy of Asia by Steely Dan or like a blue note OG where like it was taken out once a year, maybe to be played like this was, it never left people's turntables. They beat the hell out of them. Yeah. Yeah like full of scratches full of like just very well loved to the point of being half surface noise half music right yeah and so and you know another interesting wrinkle of this too is like a lot of these releases came on dynaflex which can you just tell people quick what dynaflex vinyl is was uh just so that they you know they're informed on vinyl history yeah, RCA, RCA Victor spent a whole lot of time and a whole lot of space on these records, like telling you just how great their proprietary vinyl compound Dynaflex was, that they could give you the thinnest record you've ever seen in your life, and somehow it will sound better than any other record. And, you know, they sound good, like the, mm -hmm. you know, listening to these original references of Whalen, like, they sound solid, and they feel terrible. Like, you, yeah, they feel like a vortex football, like as in a real football, right? That's the difference. Yeah, it's like it, you pick it up and you're like, I could throw this a hundred yards out of a stadium if I needed yeah, you, to. You know, you pick it up and you, and you kind of get that like singing saw sound if you if you like wave it around too much in the air because it just kind of bends back and forth. Uh -huh. And so it it is really funny having held all of the original references in one hand and then holding like the box in another that you can truly feel the difference uh like weight wise of like these thin dynaflex records from the 70s that rca was just pushing out they knew they could do it as cheaply as possible because yeah the, this was a country audience an outlaw country audience they didn't need this fancy packaging they just wanted the record they wanted the music they didn't think about it and to now upgrade to these like just thick fantastic sounding records going from Dynaflex is just a huge leap.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Dynaflex, it was born out of the oil crisis, but then Sony really, or not Sony, RCA really stuck with Dynaflex as a thing, like long after the oil crisis. Like they were, they were beating that thing until the early '80s. So, oh yeah, it was it was great for their coffers. I I think that was one of my takeaways from like anytime you do a box set of an artist, especially if they're on one label, you kind of pick up on all of these like interesting little other things. And I love country records specifically. And I love RCA's country records from the sixties and seventies because they have so much non-album information that they are trying to tell you. There's there's this little box for like, this is how great Dynaflex is. Like their whole sleeve is like, check out the wonders of Dynaflex. Here's all the reasons Dynaflex is amazing. Don't forget to visit the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. This, you know, they they are pimping the Songwriters Hall of Fame. They're pimping Dynaflex. They're they're pimping uh, RCA Studios in Nashville. Like mm-hmm. about half of these liner notes are really just RCA's promotional materials. Yeah, they got to do all of the corporate, the different verticals of the business. Got to get represented. Yeah. 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 It's, it's basically a you know, one quarter of it is a flyer for the company. Uh-huh. And and then the rest is like, I, I especially love diving deep onto the, the Whalen liner notes because they're all written by like some different like country music DJ in Nashville who like clearly wrote them at 3 a.m. and had to turn them in, had to like fax them into RCA like the next morning. And they're just these like, it, it's wild to go from reading really closely like these jazz and blues and folk music liner notes where they're very studious and like very much connoisseurs to like, yeah, I'm a guy and I play, you know, country music at midnight here in, you know, Missouri. And uh, this is what I think about Waylon Jennings. And and like, that's just the back of the album cover. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of a fascinating world to get into. Right. Yeah. It was never a, a scholar. It was always just some guy and that, you know, that was it. So this is like the Miles Davis box. We got AAA tape transfers. You know, we went went and got those from the original master tapes. And they went to Ryan Smith again, right? And then they become test pressings. So what do, you know, what did, are you listening for on this? And, you know, what stood out to you on these test presses when you got them? in your house all 24 total test pressings right <laughs> yeah. it was a doozy and it i think it was really interesting because these tests landed about the same time that some of the miles davis tests were landing and what i noticed immediately like just time wise i could listen to an entire whalen album in the time it took to listen to one side of a miles davis <laughs> test pressing yeah like whalen was consistently like yep here's a 13 14 15 minute side like both sides it's going to be five songs and each song is going to be three minutes long Mm -hmm. and like he just he he did that so consistently through the 70s so that was that was one thing that i thought was kind of funny but it's it's interesting to pair that against miles davis where like having talked to ryan smith about cutting miles like when you're cutting a 32 minute side of cacophonous jazz music and there's so like just this massive dynamic range that you have to account for all of the sound that you have to fit it it is really really difficult to do whereas with Waylon on a 15 minute side of music that like by and large is going to sound the same from the beginning of that side to the end 
you have all of the space to work with to cut a nice, hot, just fantastic sounding record. And and I think he just did that in spades. Like these records sound, like I said, they sound better than their their Dynaflex original versions. Like they sound so crisp and alive and just full. I think what I was really knocked out by was like how much low end there can be on some of these records. And I, I think you mentioned this in, in the booklet too, that once Whalen really got creative control over his mixes, his productions, he wanted them to rock. He wanted them to really, yeah. really, really be set apart in that way. And, and you can totally hear this growling low end, this kind of rock and roll energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was something I talked with Shooter about on the first episode is like, I don't remember a country record before Lonesome Ownery and Mean where the drums sound as good as they do on that record where it's like it's stacks you know it's like you're hearing al jackson jr drums where it's like you can hear you know it's like you can hear the hi-hat like you can hear how tight the drummer's foot is on the hi-hat on that like that's how closely mic'd and good the drum sounds are on these records like it's disco records you know it's like and i don't know that there are many country records period before or since that have that much attention to that part of the music. Like Whalen was ahead of his time on that and is still ahead of his time, I think. Truly. And and I think, you know, you you maybe hear some of that now in like Sturgill Simpson's music. Uh, right. And, and so I like to some extent, I think that that sound doesn't seem as novel listening in 2023 without understanding what came before it. That like to really understand Whalen against all of this country politan and all of like the Chet Atkins sound of Nashville, that you would just assume that they had never heard of a bass in Nashville <laughs> uh, until Whalen came along, or that any anybody played drums. Like you would have thought that everybody in Nashville just just kind of patted on their knees mm -hmm. to play percussion, and then now having heard so much rock music, country rock music, and everything that sort of was inspired by Whalen. You, you do kind of have to sit and like just take it in of oh this was a this was an incredibly unique sound for the time mm -hmm. and that it just like it was so powerful that country music sort of changed in that image to some extent mm -hmm. for sure uh was there any real difficult part of this box i feel like this one might have been one of the smoothest we've ever done is that right <laughs> yeah yeah, we didn't, uh, if I remember right, I don't think we had any recuts for this one. Um, they were all pretty straightforward cuts as I understood it from talking to Ryan about it. Yeah, it, it was like remarkably straightforward. I'd get a test pressing in, I'd listen to it and go, yep, this sounds great, approved, I'd get the next one. Okay, this sounds great too. And I could just kind of mow through them because they're all 15 minute sides, take a little break. Okay, yep, this one sounds great. Too. All right, we have a full anthology, that was easy. It's done, yeah. <laughs> I would say that, yeah, sonically, like the test pressing, the audio side of it was all pretty straightforward. It was really more about remaking all of the art, the jackets mm -hmm. from scratch, because many of these had not been reissued since since their initial release. So much time was was spent sort of recreating those and really getting them as sharp and making them look like they did on release day back in 73, 74. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people, you know, I, I think I've said this before on a previous anthology podcast, but like 
there's you know chatter on the internet when we do these where people are like well surely the label has this this copy and the cover of the album that they did looks like a photocopy and they should have gotten the original one from the label and it's like uh you think that any like tapes for a lot of albums are lost you think that anybody at rca in 1974 was like we got to make sure we really keep the paste up of this time like we gotta we gotta keep that for our archives like no way like there was not anybody that was doing that so like yes these are photocopies of the cover because they do not exist like we are recreating it yeah yeah that i i, I appreciate that psa every time that you say it out loud because i think most people are astonished to find that there is not just a massive library of art and art yeah. files and photos and layouts basically if it happened before the year i would say like 2005 i just i mean and even I, then i mean I, like yeah, yeah i mean was there even there wasn't santi gold art anywhere Nope. And like, that's a 2008 record, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, like it just, you, people out there listening to this need to know that like, there is no such thing as like album art archiving. Like they, there is nobody at the label that cares. They care about the tapes more than they did 10, 15, 20 years ago. But like, right. And when you look at, I mean, when you even look at the scope of like where physical media was going from the seventies all the way to the two thousands, like we went from the 12 by 12 LP and then, you know, cassettes and then CDs. And then it was just a, like a thumbnail, like a mm -hmm. literal thumbnail size image on a screen somewhere. Mm -hmm. So you didn't need to save the art. If you had a half decent scan of a record at some point, you could turn it into CD art. And then all of a sudden, like trying to do vinyl reissues in, in this year, it's just like, oh, yeah, no, the, the, right. we, we need, not going to happen. Yeah, we need the full canvas. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's the album art. We got as close as we could to the full canvas on all of these covers for when you guys get this box. Is there anything else you want to add about how this one came together, Stephen? Uh, like I said, this one was remarkably straightforward. Like there weren't really any war stories from this one. Um, things kind of moved pretty rapidly. Things things just sort of made sense like there was no world in which we were going to do like a double 45 uh release of any of these so they're all pretty straightforward reissues of their original releases um i will tell folks and maybe you've already said this but uh check out the dead wax on this i forgot about this i have not said anything <laughs> that's right we got to fool around with what goes in the dead wax so yeah yeah i forgot Yep, you gotta remember yep. to do that more often is we really, really do. The, yeah <laughs> uh but yeah we had a lot of fun just kind of etching some little easter eggs well ryan smith was was very kind he's got he etched them i yeah. came up with what they should be yeah <laughs> yeah and he's got uh excellent scribe penmanship yeah, so i think that they turned out really beautifully yeah cool well steven thank you for coming on anthology podcast and thanks for all the work you do at VMP to make these boxes happen. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Some people are saying that time will take care of people like me. 
That I'm living too fast And they say that I can't last much longer But little they see That their thoughts of me is my savior So, that is a wrap on this season of the VMP Anthology Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for purchasing this box. These are always a huge passion project that takes a village to make happen. And it's always a surreal thing to see these things making their way out into the world. We're glad you're enjoying this. We're, we're glad to have brought it to you. Uh, you know, we can't wait to do more Waylon Jennings records. There's a lot of his catalog still out there. And I think it's a safe bet that we'll be doing more Waylon Jennings in the future. And maybe some Shooter Jennings, for that matter. And definitely some Jesse Coulter. So pay attention to VMP Country. Uh, if you haven't already, get our Honky Tonk Heroes and our The Taker Tulsa. Uh, both records that are sort of in the same period as this box that ultimately will give you a even more expanded story of Waylon Jennings and his catalog. Uh, I think that's it. I think that about wraps us up on Waylon Jennings. Uh, I will be back to host the impulse season when that is time, but until then stay safe out there and keep spinning. This season of the VMP Anthology Podcast is executive produced, written, and hosted by Andrew Winnestorfer. It is produced by Jim Hankey of the Vinyl Emergency Podcast. A special thanks to Stephen and Clay for guesting on this episode of the podcast. And before we go, remember, listen to more clean shirt. Do you feel the earth move under your feet right now? I am here. I am back in overtime, in extra hours, to bring you the latest in what's coming in VMP Anthology. So, here I am. The podcast is over, but I'm still here. How much longer can I stretch this out? I'm just playing. Uh, yeah, you know what's coming next. In VMP Anthology already. It's VMP Anthology 19, the story of Impulse Records. It's VMP Anthology 20, the story of Memphis Rap, which we just announced this week. It's our first hip-hop dedicated anthology. Shout out to Kingpin Skinny Pimp, the, the mouth of the South. Can't wait for that one. But I'm here to tell you about VMP Anthology 21. And before I do that, please, this is, this is a plea from me to you, from my lips to your ears. Please don't just tell everybody on the internet immediately what I say here. Make them do some legwork. Make them be dedicated and get in their dedicated Spotify, their iTunes podcasts, and download this episode to hear these words themselves. Don't make the work so much easier for your fellow people out on the internet talking to you on our VMP Discord. What's up, guys? You know, make everybody do the work. I want a lot of people to listen to these podcasts. We love making them. We put a lot of work into them. So please, 
don't just immediately turn around and post this on the internet. Thank you. Without further ado, the next VMP anthology after Impulse, after Memphis Rap, is the first anthology dedicated to a solo female artist. She was very, very, very important in the 70s. We were working very closely with her and her family on making this box. We are very proud of where this one is headed. It will come in January. So, 124, VMP Anthology 21. 22 will be coming soon after that. So, a lot of big things coming in VMP Anthology. As always, thank you for listening. We'll see you out there.